For those of you that have been with us for a few months on Wednesday nights, you've known for the last year we've gone through the uh, journey uh, to the promised land. Journey from Abraham, uh, from God giving that promise to uh, all the way to Joshua. And as we're transitioning, um, this year we're going to pick up some new things. I just want to, we've just been wrapping up and, and, and going on a few trails that off the main trail uh, before we dive into something totally new. Uh, I want you to dig in with me to Psalms chapter 46, the book of Psalms. Um, so those of you that have been with us for a while, remember um, when we got to, I don't know how long ago this was, but it was right at the end of Moses' life. Many people don't think of Moses as a great songwriter, but he was. He wrote a song with his sister uh, when the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea. He wrote a song at the end of his life that the Lord told him, you need to write this song so that the, my people will remember me when they step into the land of promise because they're going to forget. They're going to get all comfortable in the, in the, in the fields and the vineyards that, that I gave them and they'll forget how they got there. So give them a song to sing to remind them of what I've done. But on top of that, he wrote a psalm in Psalm chapter 90 and uh, we studied that a few months ago. And one of the things that stood out to me in Psalm 90, because Psalm 90 is a beautiful story of the eternity of God and the brief transitory nature of man. So what I mean by that is, is that our lives, when you're 18, you think you're living forever. You think this is going to just last forever. But it doesn't take you long to figure out things are changing and they're changing quick. So Moses, at the end of his life, has had all of these Reports come to him about one more person that's died. Remember, Moses is the last of the generation of Israelites to die in the wilderness, as far as we know. So he's had to watch a whole generation of his friends, his comrades, his buddies die. Some of old age, some of their own doing. Some died suddenly, some lived a nice long life, but they didn't see the promised land. Can you imagine Moses towards the end of that waking up every morning to another report? Somebody bring him a report. This person died. This person's gone on. He writes this psalm in Psalm 90 about how they've wandered around. They've had no home. I mean, he's been wandering for much of his life. Even before the Israelites left Egypt, he was wandering. He had left Egypt. Then he wandered for 40 years with the Israelites. He hasn't had a home. He lived a nomadic life. But he says this in the beginning of Psalm 90. He says, O oh Lord, you've been our dwelling place for generations. Before the mountains were formed, before the earth was formed, you, you, we were in you. You, were, you had us. You knew us. You had formed us. So in all this lifestyle of never having a home, he starts to realize you've always been our home. We thought we were nomads. We thought we were strangers just wandering around without a place to stay. And he's, he's starting to realize, but God, for generations, you've been our home. You've been our homeland. We've always had a home in you. And he talks about how fast life slips away and how brief it is. But he says, God, you're eternal. A thousand years is like a day. And then at the end of the psalm, he says, oh, Lord, confirm the work of our hands. Yes, Lord, confirm the work of our hands. In other words, make permanent 
what we've worked so hard for because he's realizing everything passes away. But the things that are done for God, through God, by God, these things are permanent. The things we invest in the eternal, these things are permanent. So I say all that to set us up for Psalm 46 because one thing that we see about the Israelites is that they realized they had no city. They had no walls, no fortresses. They, they lived in a nomadic lifestyle. But even when they did have a steady home, and they at some point built walls, and at some point they had boundaries, and they had uh, borders and all of this, you got to know that that was never really their true home. It was a promised land. It was a land they were meant to dwell in. But there was something even greater than that. In Psalm 46... Those of you that are students of the scripture will know that the things that these Israelites had experienced, many of these things were types and shadows and forms of the more permanent, the more lasting, the things above, the things that that we can't see at this time. You know, we, we learn about Jerusalem being the city that God blessed and at some point, David even brings the, the Ark of God to, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And the presence of God dwells in Jerusalem. Solomon builds a temple in Jerusalem. It is called Zion because it's, it's on Mount Zion. So there's, this, there's this, um, this sense of we have a home and this is where God dwells. And yet the scripture tells us that it was just merely a form of the heavenly Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, they write about it. Paul says, we're not citizens of this world. He says, Jerusalem is the mother of us all. And he's not talking about that city in the Middle East, even though that is a type. He's talking about the, the, great, the new Jerusalem, the city of God. In, in the book of Revelation, it talks about it constantly. It talks about this city that, that, that we're meant to dwell in, this, this city where God dwells, that where his, uh, there's no need for, for sun because he is the light and his light fills the place. That This city where there's no war, no famine, this city where God's presence always dwells and where we dwell. Talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Here we are right now, 2017, we don't live in a city we can see. But as we're going to read later in the book of Hebrews, we have already come to that city. We're part of that city. Even though there is more to come, even though there is something that we will one day get to see with our own eyes, right now, we're a part of that city. Sometimes we get real comfortable here in Canada, and Canada is a wonderful country. But we forget we're strangers here. That doesn't mean you have to act weird all the time, although probably your friends think you are every now and then, right? If you're following Jesus, somebody's going to think you're weird. That's just, that's a given, and that's okay. We live here in Canada, but we are ambassadors for Jesus here in Canada. This is our mission field right here. It's good to care about the nation that you live in, just as Daniel cared about Babylon, just as, as, as the people of God, wherever they went, carried the presence of God and cared for the people they were with. We're meant to care about this nation. We're meant to pray for this nation. We're meant to love the people of this nation. We're part of that. But our citizenship, even though you have a Canadian passport, our citizenship is in heaven. We are, as Peter said, strangers and aliens here. 
And it changes how you look at the world. It changes how you look at uh, what you want this nation to look like. It changes how you uh, spend your daily life and your priorities and all these other things. In Psalm 46, it says this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Now, the people who are hearing this have experienced times where they felt they had physical strength and physical refuge. These are people who know what it's like to be outnumbered and they know what it's like to outnumber the enemy. They know what it's like for the other guy to have better weapons and they know what it's like for them to have better weapons, better position, whatever. But he doesn't say when things are down, this is like what we were talking about at offering, he doesn't say when things are down, God's our help. He does say in a time of trouble, but he says always God is our refuge. He's always our refuge. He's always our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. Now, let's think of that on two levels. Let's think of that on the big picture level, the the fact that our world is changing rapidly. And most of us wouldn't say, really, that, you know, it's changing for the better. You look around and things don't look great, right? You look at the culture around you. Think about it. When you say, when your kids say, can I watch this movie? And you're like, well, I don't know. What kind of movie is it? Oh, it's an old movie. That depends on their version of old, right? <laughs> but, but we naturally think, well, if it's an older movie, it's probably better than it would be now. Why? Because our culture is going down a slope yeah. where things are getting worse. Can you ever imagine, I mean, I can imagine this. Can you imagine, I'm not saying it's, it, this is exactly what it would look like, but can you imagine such a revival take place in our nation that when we said oldies, we said, oh, don't watch the oldies. You better watch something newer. They'll be cleaner. Can you imagine the culture shifting back? Wouldn't that be awesome? But either way, if the earth around us changes, if the world around us changes rapidly and you're all afraid, it says we won't fear. Now, in this context, he may very well, and he probably is, not just talking about culture, he's talking about literally like if the ground around you were to change. If, if the earth, the planet itself, we still wouldn't fear. For God is our help. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Guys, if that were to happen, people would freak out. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its selling, swelling pride, Selah. That means, well, we have to guess at what that means. Most of us believe that that means there's a break, there's a time of pause, of reflection. And perhaps a sweet harp solo right, right here, I can imagine. You can imagine Selah means whatever you want it to mean, but I, I picture a harp solo. In verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High God. God is in the midst of her, who's her, the city. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. What does hosts mean? It's armies. The Lord of his armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. 
Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I'm God. What does he mean by cease striving? Stop struggling trying to make it happen. Stop struggling trying to make everything form to your will. Stop struggling and panicking and worrying and and fearing and know I'm God. Then he says this. I will be exalted among the nations. Do you hear that? Now he's speaking to his people, Israel. But he says, I'll be exalted among the nations. I just won't be exalted in just one place. I'll be exalted over the whole earth. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I love this verse that says, there is a river. There's a river that makes glad the city of our God. I think these are times we need to, to hold on to that and, 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 and believe that on a level we haven't believed before. Because the city of God so often, if we begin to see ourselves, uh, you know, the, the followers of Jesus, the, the people of God, the, those citizens of the kingdom of God, as we begin to see ourselves as part of a city, many times we look at it like it's a city under siege, don't we? Like we're surrounded. Like we're worried that, you know, we're, we're being encroached on all sides. But do you hear what he says? There is a river that makes glad the city of our God. Can you just imagine a people who are parched, a people who are discouraged, who are tired, who are downtrodden, and a, a flood rushes through the city, a stream and, and it lifts everybody up and all of a sudden people are laughing and people are dancing and people are, are refreshed and people aren't tired anymore. This is the river of God. This is the presence of God. This is the spirit of God. Now when God talks about the kingdom of God, what's he talking about? The government of God. The kingdom of God is within us, right? The kingdom of God travels with us. There is a kingdom yet to come where he will rule with a rod of iron, but his kingdom is here with us as well. And we look forward to the day where Jesus sits on the throne and every knee bows. But right now we experience the reality of the kingdom of God. Why is it the kingdom of God? Well, because the king is ruling. And when the king rules, we have the kingdom of God. He said to his disciples, go heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. The first thing he said was preach the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Freely receive, now freely give. Where the kingdom of God is, things are made right. Things are straightened that were crooked. Things are healed that were broken. Every spirit that has taken control over a region or a group of people is, is dispelled and cast out because this is the kingdom of God. No other Lord, no other ruler can rule here. But now, when we talk about kingdom of God, we're talking about the government, the God reigning and ruling. When we talk about the city of God, we're talking about the people of God being together under one king in one place. And the cool thing for me is that the city of God is scattered throughout the planet, and yet we still are united. Now, I may feel like we're not united. Like, what do we have in common with these guys? What do we have in common with those people over there? But the truth is, we are. We've got one pastor, 
One senior pastor over the whole church of Jesus Christ, and that is Jesus Christ himself. One king on the throne. One father, one God and father over all of us. So we are part of a city. We've got citizenship papers. And there's something about the stream, the river of God that flows through our city. And I'm not talking about Lloyd. I'm talking about the city of God that makes us glad. And you have to know where to look. You have to want it. You have to seek it. But there's this sense that everything we need to revive us again is not out there. It's, it's in here. And I'm not saying in here in this building. I'm talking about in here in the city of God, in, our, in him, everything we need to be revived, everything we need to be encouraged, everything we need to be made alive and, and to rejoice and to dance and to sing. It's all in that river of his presence, of his spirit that brings healing to the nations. I think about this idea of a city, and it's all throughout the Bible. Yes, there was a physical city. There was physically Jerusalem. But throughout the New Testament, we're told of a city that is unshakable, that's not going to be burned down, that's not going to be torn down. That's, that you don't have to travel to from far and wide, that this city, it says we've already come to. I want to read you something in the book of Hebrews. Many of you will be familiar with this. But we're going to actually, if you'll forgive me for uh, skipping a little bit, I want to bring out a few things in Hebrews 11, 12, and 13. Well, primarily, sorry, Hebrews 11 and 12. Now, if we had all the time in the world, we'd read every verse in these two chapters. But for the sake of time, most of you guys know what goes on in Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11, so many of us call it the hall of faith. This is the, these are the men and women of God that, that did the impossible through him. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did this. Some of them were popular. Some of them weren't. Most of them weren't in their time. Some of them died in faith. Not receiving, not, not fully receiving the promise. But it says this, that we're part of their race. And without us, their race isn't finished. We're carrying on that story that they were part of. We're carrying on the race that they ran. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand, most of these people had a lot of decisions in front of them. And the easiest, most prudent best decision for them would have been to do their own thing and fit in. To just kind of do what made sense. But none of them really did what made sense. What Abraham did didn't make sense. What Noah did didn't make sense. None of these guys really made sense in their day. But they did it by faith. They were following something they couldn't see. And I, I want you to see what it says about men like Abraham and Moses and the Israelites it says in Hebrews eleven eight, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The truth is that Abraham had enough money, power, and influence. He could have lived anywhere he wanted to. The scripture says that God had blessed him in such a way that he had lots of uh, servants. He had lots of cattle. Um, 
we see he, he talks with kings as equals throughout the book of Genesis. So this isn't a guy who's, you know, living in a tent because it was all he could afford. This is a guy who's living in a tent because he chose to live in a tent. Had enough money to live in a mansion, he decided to live in a tent because he would rather be where God told him to be than fit in with the rest of the world. And the reason is, is because he was looking for something. And so often we, we, we read the verse, seek the kingdom, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And we think of seeking just merely as um, a thought, a desire. But guys, if you're ever really seeking something, it never stops with your thoughts, does it? If you're seeking a wife, man, if you were seeking a wife, would it just be you just at home saying, that'd be nice. That's not seeking a wife. If you were seeking a wife, you're out going out and looking. I'm not saying you need to go out and look. I'm just saying that's what that would look like. If you were seeking a job, are you at home just saying, be nice to have a job? Jobs are good. A job would be good for me. I'm seeking a job. Somebody comes and says, what are you doing with your life? Oh, I'm seeking a job. Oh, really? You put in some applications, some resumes, gone on, online. What are you doing? Well, I'm not doing any of that, but I just really want one. I mean, and I, I, I think ultimately, if you really want something, you just put it out there, it'll come. Well, no, I mean, come on, guys. If you're seeking a job, get out and go find a job, you know? Go find a job. Now, we as believers would also say, there's prayer, pray about it. But that's, that's action as well. But here's the deal. When you're seeking something, it's not just a desire, it, it affects your life. If you're seeking a treasure, you're going to go out and look for it. So when we say seek his kingdom, we're not just talking about saying that's what I want the most. If it's what you want the most, it will affect what you do with every day of your life. You're going after it. You are serving the king. You are, you are, you are acting as if this is this what I see here. The, 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 the realm I live in is important, but it's not the most important thing. You're saying the kingdom of God is more important to me than anything else on the planet. That's what it means to seek. So if it's more important to you, let me tell you, people's schedules change when the kingdom of God becomes their priority. People's thoughts change when the kingdom of God is their priority. Their words change. Why? Because you know as soon as you meet somebody what's most important to them. Spend an hour talking to them, you'll know. If they are obsessed with NASCAR, you'll know. I mean, it doesn't take long to find out somebody's obsession unless it's just really a, an obsession that they fear is going to make them seem weird and they try to hide it as long as they can. But truth is... When you're obsessed, when you're really seeking something, people around you know it because it changes what you do. It changes what you talk about. It changes the way, the way you think. Seek first his kingdom, he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other, these, all these other things that the Gentiles are seeking will be added to you. Well, what does it mean that the Gentiles are seeking clothes, food, a place to live? They're spending their time, their energy, their treasure, their blood. They're spending everything for these things. This is the most important thing to them, so this is what they're chasing. Jesus says, your father knows you need these things. And it's his good pleasure to give them to you, he says. But seek first the kingdom and all of his righteousness and all of that stuff will be added to you. Don't spend your life 
chasing what everyone else chases. So Abraham is an example of this. Abraham made a choice. Do I take all the money I've got? Do I take all these servants I've got and build myself a nice city? And he says, no, I'm seeking a city that already has foundations. I'm seeking a city whose builder and architect is God. And you can't see that city. Now, Guys, that's all, that's all well and good for Abraham, but what about the people? What about the people that work for Abraham and say, can't we just settle down? Can't we just get a nice place with walls so when someone attacks us, we don't have to fight right away? Can't we just, you know, just, just, just look, there's a nice city there. They, they've got groceries. They've got everything we need. I mean, can we do that? And Abraham's, no, this is what's important to me. God promised me this land. Well, where are we going, Abraham? Well, I don't really know. Great. <laughs> Great. All right, well, let's just keep going towards this invisible city. And he died living in a tent and didn't consider his life a failure. This is a success. Because he's looking ahead. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. The truth is, people that think this way See far further than other people. Abraham sees this and rejoices. His his great-grandson, Joseph, dies rejoicing that his his descendants are going to leave Egypt someday and go to the promised land. And he says, guys, and it says it right here in Hebrews 11, by faith, Joseph made arrangements about his bones. Joseph said, hey, I can't wait till you guys get to the promised land. I will be long dead, but you better come back and get my bones and take them with you. (laughs) These are people that are living by faith. They're finding joy in this. They're, They're excited about it. It says this, if we were to skip down, In verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, If they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But that, as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. How excited are you about the city of God? There's two parts to the city of God. There's the part we've yet to see and there's the part we participate in right now. Like right now, I'm getting to meet with some of the citizens, fellow citizens of the city of God. Right now, just even tonight, I experienced the taste of that stream that flows through and makes us glad. It cheers us up and gives us life and excites us. And when things are terrible all around us and even within our own camp, It brings comfort and hope and strength again. Makes our hearts glad. You could be very depressed looking around the world and seeing how it crumbles. And you could put your hope in maybe we'll elect somebody who will change it. And I still believe in democracy. We all do. And I believe we have a voice and we should use our voice. But guys, um, 
saviors and scapegoats. We don't look for those around here. Our Savior and the one who stood in our place for our sin and took our blame is one and the same, and he died on the cross and rose again. So no politician can be your Savior, and no politician can be your scapegoat. We have to believe, and we have to begin to seek a different country. We get to be part of Canada, and I will... I was born in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, lived in Loon Lake, lived in Lloydminster. I've never lived anywhere else but Saskatchewan and Alberta. I love Canada. I, I anticipate, unless the Lord does something different, he's welcome to do it, I anticipate spending the rest of my life here, very happy to be in such a blessed country. But this is not my homeland. This is where God put me. But my homeland is in heaven. That's where I look to for my life. And I'm a part of that city right now. I'm a part of that country right now. What he's saying in Hebrews 11, guys, because we can read it and say, by faith they did amazing things. But he's saying the reason they did amazing things by faith is that they weren't satisfied with what everybody else was satisfied with. They wanted something better. I desire a better country. I desire a different city. You've got, you cannot be satisfied with the current uh, when you look around and say, this is, this is a great place to live. This is a great city. Lloyd Minster is a great city. Thank God it is. But there's more than that. And you've got to make that your, your, your joy and your gladness because when we understand we're part of that city, then we know where to take refuge. You take refuge in him. What does it mean to take refuge? I mean, come on, guys, imagine. Think back to the days that the sons of Korah wrote that psalm. Think back to the days of David when he wrote his psalms and talked about taking refuge in God. Taking refuge was not blink and I'm here. Taking refuge meant you ran back to the walls and you stayed in this place where it was protected and where there was, there was fortresses and towers. And so he says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. To take refuge means you've got to say, where am I standing? Am I standing in the city? Am I standing in his name? Am I standing where he put me? We take refuge in him. He is our hiding place and he is our dwelling place. And he goes on and he says this. If we were to skip down to chapter 12. Now, I mean, once again, just let me read that last verse for you. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And as we go to Hebrews 12, I want to remind you why this whole letter was written. This entire letter was written to a group of people who had to make a very hard choice. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews, right? <laughs> Hopefully you've, made, you've connected those dots. And we can argue about who the author was. He didn't sign the letter, but it doesn't really matter. It was God-breathed. It's a letter from inspired and breathed into by the Holy Spirit. The reason this letter was written was because there's a lot of people trying to play both sides. 
He says in this letter that these folks have had to accept joyfully the seizure of their property. When they decided to follow Jesus, people came and took their land, took their homes, took their farms. That sounds terrible. It's terrible, it's hard, but it's only unbearable if you didn't know that this is not even my real home. There's something better for me. I've said this before, I've made this point several times before, but bear with me as I say this. These guys had to make a choice. Once they decided to follow Jesus, they gave up their family a lot of times. They gave up their connection to their culture. And these were a group of people living in an occupied territory. And all they had left was their family, their culture, and their religion. That was all they had. That was all the Jewish people had that was still theirs. And following Jesus meant you had to give most of that up. I mean, sure, you still had your faith, but you might have got kicked out of your synagogue. Sure, you had the family of God, but your own mom and dad and brothers and sisters, Jesus said, they'll betray you. They'll turn you over to their courts. And it happened. Your culture, which is all you've got, Do you know how tight a culture becomes when you're living in an occupied territory with a foreign army ruling over you? You hang on to one another because you're all you've got. And all of a sudden your culture is saying, we have nothing to do with you. If you follow Jesus, if you claim he's the Messiah, if you do that, you've turned away from the way. The best thing they could hope for was that people would exile them and just say, get out of here. The worst thing was that somebody would try to kill them or put them in prison. They're having to make this choice. And when they make that choice, as he says so many times, today, if you hear his voice, don't don't harden your heart. He's saying God's calling us out. God's calling us out. The old way is being done away with. There is a new and living way. Then he brings this out and he brings out, he says, we're not of those that shrink back. We are of those that press forward through faith to the preservation of the soul. And that leads in to Hebrews 11, telling you what kind of people you come from. We are not of those that shrink back. You're not, you're not of that type. You're not, you're not of the type of people that run away. Look at your heritage. Look at your fathers and, and your mothers in the faith. These are the kind of people, these are our roots As he says in the Old Testament, look to the rock you were cut from. Look to to this cistern that you were hewn from. Look at what you came from. These are your roots. And we as Gentiles can say, yes, those are our roots. Because Abraham was our father by faith. So we look back. He says, look to where you came from. Look at Abraham. Look at Sarah. Look at these people. Look at the pit you were dug from. You're made of better stuff. Here's so many people brag about their heritage, right? Oh, my, my, you know, you don't know what I'm made of. My ancestors did this. My people did this. You know, it doesn't really matter because you've been given a new family and a new ancestral line. And I don't care if, you're, if your ancestors were a bunch of drunks. I don't care if your ancestors were a bunch of heroes. It doesn't matter because you've now been brought into a family where you look at Hebrews 11 and say, here's my family tree. Men and women that the world was not worthy of. Amen. This is what I come from. And we're not the type of people. Our tribe doesn't shrink back. Yes, we press forward. And we look for a city that belongs to us. 
There's a city that's ours. There's a country that's ours. And there's a king on the throne and his royal blood flows through our veins. God has prepared a city for them. So they weren't discouraged when they didn't see all of it at once. They rejoiced. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. God gave him a peek. Joseph had a peek. Moses had a peek. These people got to see into some things and they considered it just as good as if they got to live there. And now we're living in their dreams. Now we're living in the things that Peter says that we are living in the things that the prophet spoke about. The things in which angels long to look. He said the prophets, when they spoke about our day, they started searching the book saying, who are we talking about? And he says they didn't know they were prophesying for us, for our benefit. They were talking about the Messiah. They were talking about Jesus. They were talking about this age, the age of the church, the age of the people of God, where every tribe and every tongue would come to worship him. And we look forward because there's a day where we get to physically be part of a physical kingdom where the lion will lay down with the lamb. The child will stick its hand in a poisonous snake's nest and won't be afraid. There will be no war. The swords, the spears will be turned into farming implements. That's coming. But right now, we are still part of the kingdom. We are still part of the city. And I want to bring you to Hebrews 12. This is where we're going to find our ending place tonight. Hebrews 12, 18 says this. Now previously, he's just finished saying in the previous verses, don't be like Esau and give up your birthright for a little bit of food. You know what I'm saying? What's he saying? Don't turn, don't trade the eternal promises for a temporary thing. Pick your city. Pick your kingdom. Because people who are seeking the city of God make weird choices. <laughs> we make choices that the world says, why did you move there? Why didn't you take that job? Why did you do it that way? Why did you do it this way? And you say, well, it'll never quite make sense to you if you don't know the one I know. But if you knew Jesus, this would make a lot more sense. Why are you still doing that? Why do you, why do you live there? Why do, you, why do you hang out with these people? Why do you spend your, why do you give money to those? Why do you do this? And it, none of it makes sense. And that's okay. But look at this. Hebrews 12, 18 says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into blazing fire into darkness and gloom and whirlwind. Now he's painting a picture of Mount Sinai when the law was given and the people of God, or the Israelites were said, you can't even touch the mountain that God's presence is because if you touch the mountain, even if, even if your animals touch it, you will die, they will die because they were sinful and this place where the presence of God was was holy and those two things couldn't dwell in the same place. So there was a distance between them and God. Even though God had come near. Even though God had revealed himself, they couldn't come too close for fear of dying. God said to Moses, Anyone who, no one can see my face and still live. So even Moses, a righteous man, had to be hidden behind a rock and only get the trail of God's presence as God passed by. 
But he says this, we have not come to that mountain. We've not come to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word to be spoken to them. When they heard the voice of God, they knew they couldn't handle it. They knew they could not fulfill all the things that were being commanded of them. They were terrified. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches this mountain, it will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. Now remember, guys, we haven't come to that mountain. But you have come. Listen, we talk about in the sweet by and by. We talk about kingdom come. We talk about Beulah land. We talk about all of that stuff, especially at funerals. As well as you should. Because what in the world is better to talk about at a funeral of somebody that you know has gone to be with Jesus than, than what we're headed for? It's a great time to talk about it. But let me tell you something. He doesn't say someday you're going to get there. He doesn't say we're headed to it. He doesn't say when you die you'll get there. He says we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are all enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel say? It cried out for justice. It said, you're guilty and you should be punished. But the blood of Jesus says, the guilty, your guilt has been placed on Jesus Christ. Now the blood of Jesus says, you are not guilty. You are righteous. You are holy. What a promise. So we understand. Someday, we're going to see this in its fullness. But right now, we've already come to this city. Will you live your life with this city as your homeland? Will you say, I'm a citizen of heaven and act like a citizen of heaven rather than saying, well, I'm trying to kind of play both sides here. I understand the desire to. Guys, I'll admit it right now, I've got two passports. I got a Canadian one and a U.S. one. Now, I feel way more Canadian because I've never lived in the States. Nevertheless, when we go to the States, you know what passport I use? Use the American one going in, Canadian one going out. Now, they tell us to do that, so I'm not breaking any weird rules. That's what the embassy tells you to do. But here's the deal. Like, when I, I mean, I sometimes feel, you know, you feel like you're living in two worlds. People said, did you vote in the U.S. election? I said, it no, because I've never lived in the States. I vote in Canadian elections. I don't, I don't vote there. But, you know, you still feel kind of like you belong to two places. But, you know, come on. When the Olympics are on, I have never once cheered for the States. <laughs> <laughs> never once. I have actively cheered against them, actually. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> she's lived in Canada longer than anywhere else, too, so she's... Aside from the accent, she's pretty Canadian. Anyways, I'm getting off track. You have to be aware and embrace your identity and your citizenship in the heavenly Jerusalem, in the city of God. And I want to make you a promise that we just read from the word of God.
that there is a river that flows into the city of God. And I believe that there are times coming and times here now where the people of God will gather, although there is chaos around us, we will gather as the people of God and we will be swept over by that river. And it'll revive us. And it'll make us glad. And it'll give us joy and it'll give us strength. The dead, I mean, I, I can just, I just picture even corpses and the river flows over them and they come alive, much like Ezekiel's vision of people who are so spiritually dead and so, and so just, just out of the race, be, just being there in the gathering of believers and the river of God sweeps over them and they come alive. And praise God, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Physically dead people came alive. The river of God, this river that flows from heaven to us. And I just want you to to embrace this because it can be so easy. Now, we should be praying for our government. We should be praying for every area and every part of government the scripture commands us to. We should not be unaware of what's happening, but you are not controlled by what's happening around you. You're not controlled by the events of the day. You're not controlled by the politics of the day. We are part of a different city. We were called to be engaged in this nation. Much like God said to the uh, Israelites who were exiled in Babylon, and he told them, I want you to plant gardens there. I want you to, to... Get married, have kids. I want you to pray for this city to be blessed because as this city is blessed, it'll bless you. They were called to engage in the city they were in even though they were in exile. Even though every morning some of them would go down to the river and look towards Zion and weep. Nevertheless, you're citizens of Zion living in Babylon. Bless Babylon. Pray for Babylon. Engage in Babylon. But don't give yourselves over to Babylon. Because at the end of the day, you're not Babylonians. You're citizens of Zion. Engage in Canada. Engage in Alberta, Saskatchewan. Engage in Lloydminster. Engage in what God's doing here. But don't give yourself over to it. Because at the end of the day, you are more a citizen of heaven than you are a Canadian. We have to hold this to be true that no matter what weird stuff's going on all around us, and we weep. I mean, Quebec City just had a a tragedy, and we're heartbroken. But even if the earth were to shake, it doesn't change who we are. We pray for them. We love them. But it doesn't change this. Our city, our kingdom is unshakable. It doesn't matter who gets elected. It doesn't change the kingdom of God. And I encourage you to seek his kingdom. Seek this city. People who are seeking the city of God make decisions that don't make sense to anyone else. But I want to read you the end of this in Hebrews 12 as we close. And it brings much hope to me. Sorry, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 says in verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Remember, he's talking to Jews. 
being exiled by their own fellow Jews because they follow Jesus. He says, we have an altar that they don't have a right to eat at. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. What kind of death did Jesus suffer? Not the death of a righteous man, but the death of a criminal. He suffered death outside the city, crucified outside the city, treated as somebody to be despised. And he did that for us. He bore our reproach and our shame. The sinless Lamb of God didn't do a thing wrong, and yet he was treated as one of the worst criminals for us. He was happy to do that for us, for the joy set before him. So it says, he took our sin, our reproach outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. What is the camp? The camp, the camp is your culture. The camp is where you would fit in. And you can desire to live inside the camp. You can live inside the city. But if you choose to follow Jesus, there will be a time where you feel like you're not welcome in your own camp. And you might feel alone. And you might feel like your old friends have deserted you and your family doesn't understand you. But the promise is this, that as us exiles and strangers go outside of our camp, we find out we're not alone. In fact, we find out someone's waiting for us outside the camp. And that's Jesus Christ. He's already out there waiting for us. And we realize we may not have a lasting city that it fully embraces us, but we have a better city. And he gladly went outside the camp for us, so let's meet him out there. Jesus would not be accepted as a good Canadian. Jesus would not be accepted as a good American, a good African. Jesus would not be accepted by every single culture on the planet or any other culture on the planet. There'd be people that liked him and people that hated him, just like when he walked the earth. And I don't think that took anything away from who he was. I say be a good Canadian as best you can. But at the end of the day, our approval, our reason for existing comes from him. Let's go out there and meet him. Let's choose today. Let's choose today that our city is not this city. We're going to act like citizens of heaven. We're going to love like citizens of heaven. We're going to embrace a higher call. We're going to seek first the things that he's called us to seek first and trust that all the other stuff will be added. And don't be afraid of reproach. Don't be afraid of the people that try to put their shame on you. But embrace who you are. Just embrace it. And I just want to say it one more time as we close. And I know I've hinted at closing for a bit here. But I, I am so excited about the river of God, which we've experienced, but I believe we will experience in greater measure as we fully seek the city of God. And it will flow into our 
gatherings as we worship God. It'll flow into our times together in our homes. It'll flow into our workplaces, and it'll make you glad, and it'll make you rejoice, and it'll revive you. It's the presence of God. It's available to every single one of us. There's a wellspring of life within you that you draw out. Thank God. So we'll rejoice and be glad. Amen. Amen. Stand up with me.